Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. We live in, in the most ultimate terms, and the code word we use for that is God. When we are thinking about ultimate things, that's the word that shows up. Now, if you think about ultimate things one way, you have church membership. Because you have to be sure that everybody thinks the right thing and says the right thing in order to belong. Think about God that way, and you definitely do not say, if you are here, you belong. Because that God would not approve of people who do X or who don't believe in Y. But think about God another way, and you plaster it all over the lobby. A couple weeks ago when I asked you to submit those questions about tough things about religion, one of them was, does God even care how we worship? Which I imagine was a question about, does God care about the differences between this group and that group, this denomination, that denomination, or even this religion, that religion? Does God even care? We kind of touched on that last week, but today let's think about the question that exists underneath that question. Because embedded in that question, does God care about X or Y or Z, is a commonly held assumption that many of us carry around in our heads that has to do with the shape of God. Because in that question, God is an entity who either does or doesn't care. So in that question, God is an entity that does caring, which means that in that question, God has a vested interest in this kind of stuff or that kind of stuff. Some stuff God wants this way, other stuff God wants that way. And so the question under the question is about those assumptions, the assumptions about how God is. What is God like? Does God have desires like you and I have desires? And then, does God act on those desires the way that you and I act on desires? Does God make plans, like you and I make plans, and then work those plans to an end? Does God do the kinds of things that human beings do, like caring? Does God care? Like planning? Like wanting? Does God do the things that human people do? Now, that can seem silly. To even ask the question can seem like philosophical acrobatics, thought spirals, mental sport, not having any real point. Except, when we tell ourselves a story about ultimate things, it becomes an unseen force deep inside of us that affects everything that we think, a lot of things that we do. It doesn't just affect whether you put a banner up in your lobby that says, if you're here, you belong. It also affects how you think about and how you treat Republicans or Democrats. It also affects how you approach or don't approach the environment. It also affects how you think about or approach social justice or equity. How we think about God has a silent impact on everything we do. And, as we saw last week, it turns out that when we walk through this spiritual journey, 
one of the primary things that happens as we move toward the center, one of the most notable components of that journey is a fundamental shift in how we imagine God. We shift from imagining God in concrete, literal, human-like ways, very commonly held views like King of Kings or Our Father Who Art in Heaven or Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We shift from those human-shaped ways of imagining God to less human-shaped ways, which again produces a corresponding shift in just about everything. So the question matters. So let's talk about it today. Here are the questions that we'll be talking about afterwards. So you can be thinking in advance while the lesson's going on. Those of you who are online, we'll be discussing the same questions on Zoom. Have you ever had a shift in how you imagine God? And what was it like? And if uh, you have an insight, what happened to you when you had that shift? When you underwent that shift, did it change anything besides your perspective on God? Did it change anything else? So you can be thinking about those as the lesson is going on. We'll have the discussion afterwards. So when we get to the red box part of the journey that we talked about last week, the burn everything down part of the spiritual journey, the don't believe any of it anymore part of the journey, one of the primal strugg struggles that we deal with in all, at least all of the Abrahamic traditions, in uh, Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, we have to grapple with the question of God's goodness. Is God good? If God, our Father in heaven, is indeed a father, sometimes he's kind of a negligent father, maybe a little bit criminally negligent. Maybe like leave a baby in a hot car kind of negligent. So that question, that struggle about God's goodness, it's a big part of what makes the red box the red box. It's a big part of what drives the whole burn it down stage of the spiritual journey. But it's also a part of the journey, and it's a question that informs a part of the journey that is critical to, essential for, moving us from second-hand institutional spirituality to first-hand direct encounter spirituality. This is what we talked about last week. If you uh, missed, you can have a listen online. So today is mostly a story <coughs> that's going to kind of inform that question. Um, if you're a long-timer, you've either heard the story before or you've heard the concepts. But we've had a bunch of newcomers join us since the pandemic, and this is kind of core and foundational to our community. So if you're a long-timer, this is what I hope that you'll do. I hope you will talk about your version of this story with new folks. I hope that you will deepen your own experience of it by telling it to other people. What was it like for you to rethink God? What was it like for you to, if you were part of that lesson a long time ago, trade in your old God and get a new one? What was it like for you to go through that process? Well, here's the story. Uh, some years ago, um, a mom brought her 12-year-old daughter to talk with me. 
and her daughter had just recently been diagnosed with Crohn's disease and had some really hard questions about God. Uh, and the mom needed some help for framing, formulating her thoughts. Crohn's is awful. The body's immune system attacks the body. The treatment is harsh, so you can imagine how mom and how daughter were feeling. I used to have an office in my backyard uh, when they came to visit. And so mom marches daughter in, sits her down and says, okay, ask him, ask him. <laughs> now, funny thing though, uh, here's what the young girl did not ask. She didn't ask the question most people ask in difficult times, which is why would God do this to me? Some version of that well-known book, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? She'd grown up in religion long enough that she'd picked up a rule along the way, which is you can't blame God. That would be bad. So she didn't ask the question, but it was in there. Instead, this is the question she asked. What is God doing in this situation? What is the good outcome that God is after that, that is being brought about by this very painful situation? I need to know. I need to know because if I can understand what my Father in heaven is up to, then I can figure out how to get on board with the plan, and then whatever is required to get out of the situation, I can do the thing, and then I can make this stop. And it was a little bit heartbreaking. Um, so I took a breath because I realized, okay, in order to talk about this young girl's situation, in order to address her underlying question, we're going to need to fast forward a bit. We're going to need to go beyond the typical 12-year-old developmental stage. We're going to have to jump to the red box, perhaps before she's ready to talk about the red box. And thankfully, mom was there. So hopefully, she could help massage the ideas over time. And so I started with the question that she had skipped. Uh, I don't think this was very comforting for mom. <laughs> I think uh, it might have made her actually a little uncomfortable, but I started talking about some really awful things. Uh, the Rwandan genocide was still fresh in people's minds at that time. Uh, the tsunami in Indonesia had happened just some months before. I reminded her of the Twin Towers of the Holocaust. And I wondered out loud with her, how about those things? Was God up to something good and wonderful when those awful things were happening? Were those awful things a means to a glorious end? Were they God's roundabout way to make something good happen by making something awful happen that would bring about the good thing? Because if so, those are some really awful things, and you kind of have to ask, is there any good thing that is good enough to make those horrible things worth it? Mom's still uncomfortable. <laughs> How is this helping exactly, Doug? <laughs> but I kept going. Uh, in those situations, I said, and a million others just like them, people often ask a question that you didn't ask. Why? Why would God allow this? What kind of God would create a world in which this could happen? What kind of God would allow people to have these kinds of choices that would produce this kind of pain? Why would God make the world this way? And why would God once 
having made this world, stand by while all of this horribleness happens and not do anything about it? And I said, did you ever wonder that question? And she stared at me blankly for a little bit of time, and then she slowly nodded her head and consented that that was kind of in there, that wondering was there, followed by a facial expression that uh, kind of read to me, okay, preacher man, what do you got? (laughs) What do you got for that now that you've brought the question up? Again, thankfully, mom could process this over time, but I said, here's the thing, sweetie. I really do think God is good. That whole God is love thing, I buy into it completely. Hook, line, and sinker. All the things that you've learned along the way, I think they're real in a very real way. But I also think that that question that comes up for so many folks, why would God let this happen? I do not think there is an answer to it. The question you're not even allowed to ask, I don't think there is an answer to that question. Now, I've probably read a dozen books looking for the answer. I have asked so many smart people, so many spiritual people. I've prayed more prayers than I can count. I've thought more thoughts than I can remember. And after all that, here's what I think. I don't think there is an answer to the question. Lots of well-intentioned answers that people have given me through the years. If you think a little more deeply, they don't tend to stand up over time. What kind of father in heaven would use such horrible means to accomplish any end? There is no answer to that question. But here's what I've come to think. I don't think the problem is the answer, or in this case, the lack of an answer. I think the problem is with the question. Then she and I had a talk about forests and trees and atoms and molecules and people and families. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about that. A forest can contain a tree, but a tree cannot contain a forest. A molecule can contain an atom, but an atom cannot contain a molecule. Uh, A family can contain a person, but a person cannot contain a family. We talked about things that contain other things and things that are contained within other things. And when we think about God for any length of time, I said to her, we start to realize that God is more like forest than tree, contained inside the reality that we call God. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't experience God. I told her we experience the divine every time we experience love, every time we experience beauty, every time we experience truth or goodness. It just means that our thoughts about God are not really about God. Our imagination muscles don't stretch far enough to imagine God. So when we think about or when we talk about God, we have to use God is a little bit like this kinds of phrases. God is a little bit like a father. God is a little bit like a lover. God is a little bit like a king. But when we say God is like this or like that, we have to remember that's like me saying to you, sweetie, that you are like a precious flower. That is really true because you are radiant and you are beautiful and you are wonderful, just like a flower. But it's not true if I squirt you with a hose and bury your feet in the dirt. It's true in one way, not true in another way. It's the same with any words that we say about God. Any way that we imagine God is not big enough. 
And when we get stuck on that question without an answer, why would God let this happen? It's telling us that we've gotten stuck on one way of imagining God. We've gotten stuck imagining God like we would imagine mom or dad. We've gotten stuck imagining God like a king or a judge or a counselor or a friend. We've gotten stuck imagining God sitting far away watching us, maybe moving things around like uh, pieces on a game board, uh, maybe moving this piece this way so that this thing happens or that piece that way so that that thing happens. When we imagine God that way, it makes sense to ask, ask the question, what is God up to? What is God doing? Why would God do this? And is there any good that's going to happen a few moves down the road after God does this? Why is God doing this? Why Crohn's? Why tsunami? But remember I told her God is not like that. That's just one way to imagine God. And it's a way that lots and lots of people do imagine God, but it is not God. By the way, two chapters in the book on this. You can read all about it. So I said to her, let's see if we can imagine another way to think about God. And her mom had a uh, yin-yang tattoo on her arm, so she was familiar with the idea. So I said to her, you know, in the East, people think that everything is connected. Hot doesn't exist by itself. Without cold, hot doesn't make any sense. Without white, Black doesn't make any sense. And without pain, pleasure doesn't make any sense. Well, if that's true, that pain is a part of the pain-pleasure reality in this world that we live in, then pain is kind of part of life. Some days are pain days, and other days are pleasure days. Now, of course, we do everything that we can to make pain stop. Sure we do. And I hope your doctors are able to find a way to make that happen. But maybe even if we do everything perfectly, pain isn't something we can avoid. It's just part of the world that we live in. It's part of being alive. Tsunami pain, twisted ankle pain, Crohn's pain. And if that's so, then we are going to need another way to imagine God. Because if we keep imagining God as our Father, we can't help but think that our Father doesn't care about our pain. And that is a terrible Father. Because a Father should care about the pain of his children. A Father ought to protect his children from pain. But let's try and imagine God in a different way, not like a father, maybe not even like a human person at all. Which is, by the way, why we don't use the word God in our church very often. Because as soon as you say the word God, the place in people's brains that they go is to a person-shaped entity, a person-shaped reality. That's where we automatically go. But what if God, I suggested, is more like a song than a person? This is one of my three most helpful metaphors for God. If you haven't heard it, you haven't been here for very long. (laughs) What if we imagine God as a rhythm that is present in everything that we know? A rhythm that is present 
in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies and present in our families and our homes and our schools and in our nation and in our world. And this rhythm is a rhythm of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and patience and forgiveness and mercy and grace and courage and virtue. If that's how we imagine God as a song, it doesn't make sense to ask the question, why? Why would this song do this thing to me? That's not the way songs are. If that's the way that we imagine God, a better question than why is how? How do I dance with this song? When I'm experiencing pleasure, am I dancing with the divine song or am I not? When I'm experiencing pain, am I dancing with the divine song or am I not? Am I in this situation right here today, pain or pleasure, am I dancing with kindness and goodness? Am I dancing with patience and mercy and courage? Or do I not dance because in my pleasure I'm distracted because it is pleasurable or in my pain I am distracted because it is painful? The question changes when we change the way that we imagine God from why would God do this to how am I going to respond? How am I going to act? Am I going to access the divine or am I not? With or without Crohn's disease, if God is a song, we can dance. We can dance to the rhythm of courage and kindness or we can not dance. And when we are in pain, we can dance to the rhythm of compassion and justice or we can not dance. Pain or pleasure, the question stops being why and becomes, what am I going to do now? And I told her that the world is full of stories of people who have faced tremendous pain and tremendous adversity and tremendous struggle and in their hardest moments found the song and danced, heard the rhythm and danced in the hardest of circumstances, been able to dance with love and kindness and compassion and peace and courage and wisdom and goodness. I told her about Viktor Frankl. You've heard me tell that story before. And I told her that we can do that because whatever God is, and I don't know, I can't contain it in my mind any more than you can. We can't. But whatever God is, it's something of what we are made out of. We are made out of the same stuff God is made out of. It is inside of us, the deepest part of who we are, which means that even in this hard, hard situation, you can hear the song and you can find the rhythm and you can dance. Now, of course, we want to make the pain stop whenever we can, and I hope you can. But even when we can't, the question becomes, to what song do I dance? Is it the rhythm of the divine song, the song of love and goodness and kindness and compassion? The question stops being why and becomes how can I participate? No matter what's going on in my life, how can I participate? And so, sweetie, what do you think? I know I didn't answer your question. I know I just changed the whole thing around, but tell me what you think. Twelve years old, remember that. Smart kid. She said, you know, Imagining God not as a person, that's really hard. She said, I can't even get my head to think God is a song kind of thoughts. 
and she paused a little longer, and she said, I mean, we don't even have words for God that aren't he or she. <laughs> and I smiled, and I said, you know, that's why that really hard question, the one that has no got no answer, that's why that question has been around for as long as it's been around, because it is really hard to change how we imagine God. But I pray that you do. And I pray that you learn to dance with all that is good and all that is lovely and all that is true and all that is beautiful. I also pray that doctors find a way to treat Crohn's. I pray that your heart will love well, extend mercy well, walk in courage and wisdom on your pleasure days, but also on your pain days. Well, Lindsay, come on up. That's the wisdom of our tradition. Let us not imagine that we can imagine God. That's the wisdom of our tradition. We were taught not to paint a picture of God, not to sculpt an image of God, not to even say the word God. We took the vowels out so we couldn't say it, so we didn't fool ourselves into thinking we knew what we were talking about because we don't know what we're talking about. Instead, all we have are metaphors, but the tradition says let's explore those metaphors deeply. And let's skip easily from one to the other, holding them lightly as we do, so we can explore more and more facets of this reality that is too big for us to contain and allow our metaphors to keep pointing us back to experience, deeper experience of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and courage and self-control. May that be in us, in dwelling divine, may we find deeper dimensions of divine experience. Amen. Have a listen. Well, uh, we all donate online right now. Uh, the donate button is at the top of our website. You can go there on your phone. You'll discover lots of ways to give. Uh, if you're here in Raleigh or if you're here far away, we invite you to take an ownership stake in the community, remembering, as we say all, at, uh, all the time, there is good return when we invest in community because when we give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars to the community, what the community does is take those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of a community in which we thrive, transform, grow, are changed. So, uh, we again, we all donate on the website, and it's about as easy as it could be. All right, in a minute, we're going to dismiss folks on the live stream, and we hope that you will join What Are You Thinking on Zoom. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to process the lesson, even if you live in outer Timbuktu. The Zoom link is on the website under events and news, and if you've stayed tuned this long, we're going to trust you with the password. Get ready. It is 1417. The password is 1417. Don't be a troll. We hope you'll join in 1417. It's also the first of the numbers in our street address, 1417. All right, if you would, please put your hand on your heart, and as we dismiss them, let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine, carry of love and light and truth and goodness. They are within us because we're made of the same stuff God is made of. And then if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. 
And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you